Hello, and welcome to a roundtable discussion on the Topic of Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, I'm joined by guests for a lively conversation on a topic we hope you'll find interesting. In this roundtable discussion, I'm joined by my sister, Kick Helen. We're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about the first and only season of Minority Report. Uh, This is based on the uh, Minority Report movie, which we saw, I don't remember when, I'm sure I've got it on DVD around here somewhere, but we watched it at one point, it was Tom Cruise film. Basic premise is pre-crime, they could arrest people before they did crimes, because they had three uh, precognitives that they had dunked in this quote-unquote milk bath, um, and they could see the future, and they could, you know, arrest people beforehand. Things go awry in the movie. It's the end of pre-crime by the end of it. And this takes place, what, 10 years later? Yeah. Of what happened to the precogs. Uh, 10-episode season, and... Well, and it's a little bit of what happened to the justice system and the criminals in this post-precog era. Well, and also, how far would you go, I mean, to, to do the right thing, to stop a crime before it happens, and where... Where do you draw the line? Where's the good of the many outweigh the needs of the few? Mm-hmm. In this case, the three precogs who, yeah, you're just going to be in for a couple hours. Oh, wait, it's six years later when you come out. Yeah. Um, I liked how they had one of the guys from the movie, the one who had been taking care of him in the milk bath and stuff, as a regular mm-hmm. in this. And really, in this in this last episode where they reveal he knew when they were going in that they were going to be there for the long haul and stuff, and he lied to him and all this stuff. Well, and he found that out the day before. Yeah, he had, not even necessarily the, was it the day before? It might have even just been a few hours before. Well, he was told, uh, you have a day to think on it, right. is how it was okay. phrased. fair enough. But he plays a, a pivotal role throughout the series in helping, mm-hmm. you know, uh, get the memories recorded and figure out what's going on and, and just how the, the season resolves. Well, and it's clear that he has regrets and inner conflict in terms of he viewed himself as their caretaker and he had a definite attachment to them. Mm-hmm. But he feels a sense of guilt because he understands it's not like he was conversing with them on a daily basis. He'd gotten to know them before they went in, though. True. They'd and gotten we, to know him. And we found that out at the end. Yeah. But for most of those six years, they were sedated and unconscious, and he was caring for them. So there was a definite bond on his side, but he didn't know on a certain level and had doubts. Did they feel I had imprisoned them or was part of, was I their warden? Or did they think I treated them like pets? I've got to imagine in the time between, in the time they were in there, mm-hmm. okay, that he had times where it's like, I should leave, I should get out of this, but then who would take care of them? And who would, would look after them? Yeah, and would my replacement, who didn't know them before this, care for them as I do, have that bond, view them as people? I, I think his, while his time caring for them, while he felt like their warden to a degree, that was also his penance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and again, it, it really came through in this uh, this show. 
And this is one of those, for a lot of movies, they don't need to kind of come back and revisit, but this was fun for them to do. It made sense as to what instigated the the series, the action, how it resolved over the course of, of the season. Um, there were a few things where it's like, okay, we've got the big conspiracy and kind of the things that I know for you are, are push-button items. I I really hate that it feels like every single show has to have an overriding conspiracy. Now or that, three or four. Yes, yes. And a, a big bad that's the biggest of all bads, if you will. Um, as opposed to episodic, this week we have a villain du jour. This did a good balance of of the weekly episodic stuff. Mm-hmm. It also had enough of an overarching story of are they safe, are they not? Well, and in a show where you've got precognitives, especially the character of Agatha, who can see a longer term future, I'm more understanding of a conspiracy or mm-hmm. that kind of thing because that comes with the precognition. So it wasn't as much of a push button for me. Though you did have to hear me chime in at the end of every single episode that aired after they announced, okay, at the end of 10 episodes, this is it. Okay, they have to make it to this point story-wise by the end of that 10th episode or I'm pissed. Are they going to wrap it up? And I think they went in with a good uh, 10 uh, 10 episode season arc Mm -hmm. that they could pick up on this. They could go for a second. They're not going to, unfortunately, but they've got... A runway for that. Well, and Agatha kept seeing the three precogs back in the milk bath. Mm-hmm. And um, Vega, the cop that one of them was working with episode after episode. First, she just saw her hovering over the milk bath. And then later, she saw her hovering and making a statement that sounded like betrayal. Yeah, put them in. Yes. And that's why I kept saying to you, by the end of that 10th episode... They have to find out that Vega wasn't betraying them. She was at least trying to get Mm -hmm. them back out. It's a misunderstanding of some sort. And when we saw Vega make that statement, you know, they cut to the three precogs and they're all going, oh, that's what that was. Kind of we saw it, we misinterpreted it, Mm -hmm. but we also knew we were, I mean... their misinterpretation of it was the most reasonable explanation. Yes. And they were getting that one line with no context. Yeah. Which I guess is the epitome of out of context. Well, and that was one of the fun things about this show uh, with the episodic stuff is they get these snippets and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And you get these teasers as to what the crime is and you've got to puzzle it out as to, well, what does this image mean? Why am I getting this? Mm-hmm. It was also kind of funny that – it. The, sh- the movie was called Minority Report because you've got three precogs, and sometimes one would see something different than the other two. Mm-hmm. That would be filed as a minority report. Yeah. We only got one of those this time because really we only got one time all three were seen doing the precog, which is this final episode. Yeah. It's also kind of funny because since they were doing the Minority Report TV show, uh, Larry Wilmore on Comedy Central, who mm. his show replaced uh, the Colbert Report black comedian he was gonna call it the minority report couldn't do that yeah and he's made a few jokes around that and it's funny great show doing a good job and stuff but at least since they were blocking down the name they used it in a reasonable time frame Mm -hmm. and uh, frankly i think did a good show i i liked a lot of things about this show and i mean okay why was it canceled well with the pilot when we watched the first episode 
did I not say this isn't going to last? It looks too expensive. Yeah. I was going to say that right off the bat. That's one reason that I think it got canceled. This is set in the future about 50 years. And just like in the movies, there's on the first episode advertising everywhere. Very glitzy, very expensive future to mm -hmm. produce. Well, and uh, the cop had uh, these contact lenses. Mm -hmm. That it was a trigger thermal viewing, a few other things. Facial recognition, mm -hmm. you know, kind of uh, scan the crime scene or whatever. Mm -hmm. And don't get me wrong, wonderful effects and well used plot wise mm -hmm. in a lot of cases. But again, very expensive looking. And I mean that as a compliment because even if they weren't doing it with expensive techniques, it looked really nice. They pulled off movie level visual effects mm -hmm. and did so very well everything from kind of the stun gun that had like a a, a force ripple blast kind of concussion yeah. effect uh to the uh the monitors that were floating around the the all the visual imaging mm -hmm. uh, smoothly done very very polished and you know again that that takes time talent and you know you're doing this on a weekly basis yeah so the minute I saw that first episode, it's like, this is beautiful. I don't see how it how they can keep going with this, mm -hmm. you know? And it's also typically any cop drama set in that, that future sort of a setting. And we've seen a number of those over recent years. They never last. Yeah. Um, another good example was uh, Almost Human, or I think it was. The yes. guy who played Bones on the new uh, uh, Carl Urban, his mm -hmm. show. Again, good show, well done. So with this, I wasn't surprised it ended after season, nor was I surprised after that first episode, they really kind of pulled back on a lot of those things. Well, and in some respects, they'd kind of established their future. Mm -hmm. So there were some things they didn't need to show us every week. By the end of the season, they really could have toned down the bright neon lights inside the police department. I don't think it was so much the bright neon lights, but this had an effect that was somewhere between... The lens flare on the Enterprise for the first of the reboot movies. Yes. And I'm trying to think which other TV shows have done this. You know, where they've got the scene, if you've got two people talking in a room. White collar. White collar is a good example. They shoot it as if they're in another room. There's glass. There's other things that get in the way. And there's almost like a prism sort of reflection effect. Mm-hmm. And it was one that I had noticed it in previous episodes, but I think it was the ninth episode where it's like, good Lord, this is going nuts. I'm tired of this. I'm, you're doing a standard interrogation scene and I've got the guy's face and a little bit of reflection off to the, the left, a huge bit of reflection off to the right. Mm -hmm. The camera keeps wavering back and forth to go shimmer that effect and stuff. It's like, this is distracting and annoying. I mean, it's distracting and annoying and gets in the way of what otherwise would have been a, a perfectly good scene. Well, and in the case of the interrogation room, it's not like they're on the other side of the glass partition where I liked that that usually double-sided mirror glass partition, in this case, had a readout on the, I guess you'd say, biometrics. The biometrics, the pulse, the respiration. Yeah. You know, is the body... Uh, uh, betraying the person as they lie. Yeah. So in that case, when they were on the other side of that, you weren't getting odd reflections. You were getting fascinating information, even if you couldn't make out what it was saying, because it would go red when it was bad, green when it was well, good, etc. And on other shows, when you get that kind of visual distortion, 
It's because they're shooting in a complex set, and there's legitimately something in the way, but it made sense to shoot from where they did, whatever. And it wasn't something where they were reveling in it. Yes. It's not like you get the occasional lens flare. And there was one where you had that, again, lens flare sort of an effect where you've got the light and you've got the the distortion band of it across. And I'm like, why are we getting this? There was one where there were so many of those distortions, I actually considered asking you to pause so I could count how many there were, because I lost count around seven or eight and couldn't figure out if I was double counting. It got to the point it was almost feeling dream sequency. Yeah. Kind of that foggy, unreal sort of a thing. Yeah. And, you know, we're watching this stuff on my projection uh, system here, you know, high def quality or whatever. And there are some shows that, man... We watch this stuff and it just pops, it's crisp, it's mm. sharp. So when you get this almost foggy, blurred out effect. Yeah, it's twice as noticeable as what it comes down to. And I can get when, you know, if they felt the need to do that to obscure some, you know, cheat a little on the visual effects or whatever. But they never did that. The visual effects were mm. crystal clear and fit. Yeah. So you would have the thing where you'd be on the other side of that police interrogation room. You'd have the crystal clear shot. You'd have the nice readout and all this stuff. I'm sure if we were to pause on one of those, we could probably read the details. Yeah. And then you cut back into the room and you get this funky lighting effect. So it was overly stylized in that respect. Mm -hmm. That was annoying. Now, the flip side is that the future, for the most part, I really liked the portrayal of it. Uh, We were in the Washington, D.C. area, so the Redskins were no longer the Redskins. I liked how we would get the Washington, D.C., the Capitol and stuff, and they had digitally... Put in buildings. Yeah. Other stuff had built up in the area. Yeah, and uh, the train that just kind of cars broke off and went some to the left and some mm-hmm. to the right and stuff. It, there were aspects of the future that you just kind of stopped and went, huh, I really like that. They had some fun stuff. I think they also had a few places where the, I'm wondering if the vehicles were as high tech as w- were in the movies. Mm, interesting. But I don't recall. And again, we I th- actually, the episode I'm thinking of was when the guy had the road rage kind of a mm, deal. Mm-hmm. But it specifically said he was able to go drive that car because it was pre-auto yes. driving. Yeah, he'd bought an antique, basically. Yeah, so it couldn't be locked out or whatever. Yeah. But they had some cool ideas in terms of just where technology would go, where society would go, how technology and society would interact. Mm-hmm. The whole concept of privacy um, yes. and how, you know, everybody is, is being tracked or whatever. I loved at one point somebody had kind of scrubbed themselves out of the system and they were able to track them because of that. It's like, well, we know everybody else. So anyone that can't be identified. Yeah. Well, there's his path. Mm-hmm. So they did some some fun stuff with that. Um, of the three uh, precogs, Dash is the one that motivates the series. He's... Seeing, he's the one who sees the graphic violence parts of the images. He's like, he's got to do something about it. Well, and I liked his motivation in terms of he talked about the time in the milk bath as when he had felt so powerless. He'd seen how many hundreds, if not thousands, of murders and been a silent witness. And now he didn't want to just sit idly by, like most of us watch these movies. We see these images. And it's not like you can step into a movie and do something about it. But he was seeing images from the real world that would take place within the next day or two. 
and he wanted to do something about it or at least help the police find the person who did it. I liked how it started out with him trying and failing to stop mm-hmm. a murder or whatever. Yeah. It, which is how he encounters Vega, the, the cop. He starts hanging with him, whatnot. Well, and what fascinated me about that scene is he arrives, honestly, like a minute too late. And he rushes into this huge plaza full of people. And all of the people are facing the building where somebody falls to their death. And he has his back to it. Well, because he thinks it's the building over to the right of it or something. But even when he realizes he's at Uh, the wrong building and he could turn around and face it, he winces and keeps his back to it because he doesn't want to see it one more time. He'd already seen it, yeah. 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 Um, Dash, I thought, was a good character. Uh, He's, again, the lead precog Mm -hmm. in this. Well, and all the precogs are socially awkward because they spent so many years in the milk bath Mm -hmm. and without learning skills. But Dash has this naiveness to him of... He, uh, an innocence, uh, uh, an optimistic... Yeah. He didn't get exposed in person to the world, worst of the world, and he still believes that he personally can do something yeah. about the badness. And I liked that aspect of his character. Which is funny, since he's the one that again, gets the visuals, by and large. Mm-hmm. the Those sorts of, of snippets and details. Yet his twin brother, Arthur, is the one that gets the numbers, the facts, the names. And I could see how that could have led to the numbers are the numbers. They Mm -hmm. are what they are. It's let's not get too worked up about it type thing. Yeah. Arthur is very practical. Very pragmatic. Very uh, kind of Wall Street Street tycoon-ish. And he's found a way to make a living out in the real world based on all that practicality. He's uh, ostensibly an estate planner. He does fake passports, IDs, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Definitely a wheeler and dealer. And he's the actor that I expect to see in something else soon. Agreed. Agreed. The actor did a terrific job. I forget. I think it was Alex Zano, maybe. I I meant to look up which actor that was. Because, yeah, he did a great job. And that was the character, uh, Nick Zano. Nick Zano was close. That was the character that was saying everything comes at a price. Mm -hmm. And they established early on, and I loved this bit of flair for the character. He had these business cards. Mm-hmm. And every time he went to give his brother a name, he would very carefully pull out the one business card, flip it over, and write the information on it and pass it on. Yes. And it was a very official presentation of it. And it was almost like he didn't sully himself by saying the name. There's a certain amount of we're in a very monitored society. Yes. So don't say it. Don't do it. This is kind of a let me slide it under the table kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. It's a, let me give you a number, jot it down, slide it over, they pick it up a hole. Mm-hmm. So you don't actually have to have that, 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 yeah. you know, conversation or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, he had a certain polish to him as a character. Mm-hmm. The actor really pulled that off. Um, well, and he's a, I almost want to say he's kind of a shady, underhanded, out for himself mobster type who is very mad at his brother. However... Hell hath no fury like Arthur if you hurt Dash. He Well, there are a couple of times where one of them upsets the other and they punch him in the face. Yes. But it's one of those things, they're brothers, they can do that. Yes. Anyone, I mean, in, in, again, at one point he's telling uh, 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 Vega's boss that, you know, 
Dash is under his protection. You mess with him, you're going to have problems with me kind of a deal. Mm-hmm. And that, that noble aspect that, that uh, again, was one of the many things that made Arthur really kind of stand out as a character. Mm-hmm. And some of that was the writing, some of that was the acting, some of that was just, um, I will say, a little bit of the physicality, some of it was the wardrobe. I mean, the mm-hmm. guy looked upper crust in so much as yeah. he had done well for himself. He had a, a little bit of the James Bondness to him, mm-hmm. uh, the women coming and going and stuff, and yet he always had Andromeda, who I'm not sure she really spoke until the final episode with that one two-word sentence. Yeah. Which was probably 5,000 times more powerful because it's the only time I remember her speaking. And yet everything about her in the final five minutes made everything that happened between those two characters before that in the rest of the series even more significant. Because their relationship had been a little ambiguous. Is Arthur a business partner with her? Is she a business partner with him? Or is there something more going on? Does she have some kind of control over him or vice versa? Is there a a deep down loyalty between them or is it just business? Or is it even a blackmail? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There, there, it's like something's going on here. We don't know what. But then how the stuff pans out at the end really, I think, not only kind of deepened uh, Arthur's character a bit, but also echoed aspects of what we had seen from a few episodes prior when we get... How did they get out of the milk bath and into society? Mm-hmm. Because it was very much, hey, we're done with you. Um, we'll help you get to where your atrophied muscles are. You're able to walk and stuff like that. And then just, just get out of here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't tell us where we're going. You're going. It's safer for you. Well, and by the very end, it's kind of a Andromeda was to Arthur in a way what Vega was to Dash. You know, whether or not Arthur ever saw that. Yeah. Those two, uh, Arthur and Dash, I thought were, were really well done. Agatha, she was the more down-to-earth, humble in terms of certainly attire and stuff like that, the more homely, but also the elder of the precogs in trying to look after the other two. Mm-hmm. And she was all, her character was always so wrapped up in the, you know, how is this going to play out? Are we going to get trapped in the milk bath again? Are we going to get enslaved again? All of that. Mm-hmm. To put a little bit of a downer on her character. She was very afraid, and she turned very dark for a few episodes. There were a couple of times where it's like she had basically blackmailed one guy, put him in a position where he had to do what she needed done, mm-hmm. and that, again, was all in the service of that overarching story, mm-hmm. you know? And was very reminiscent of what I recall from the movie, which was kind of a... They acted on what they saw in the vision, which is what made the vision happen. Mm. Well, and it was interesting, the episode we got that focused on her off in Fiddler's Neck, the the island or whatever, showed a much more compassionate character for Agatha, but also she was starting to get serious with this one guy, but because she would see the long-term ramifications. And she could see more than one possible future for him. She could see this is what his life would be like with me. Yeah, it's it's good. This is what his life would be like with other people. And while that's that's better for him. Yeah. And kind of again that selfless stuff that that was really the only sign we really see the selflessness selflessness in Agatha, whereas we see that a ton with Dash. Mm-hmm. Just about everything he does is again for that greater good out of a sense of doing right for the sake of doing right. Yeah. 
So those three were a very interesting kind of a, a combination. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Vega, she was the cop that Dash is working with. We get some of her backstory, how her dad could have been saved if pre-crime had been started just a couple of months earlier. I liked how that played out and mm-hmm. got resolved. That was really well done. Well, and there were a lot of aspects of that that were well thought out. Um, the bit with the jersey that was given to her as a mm-hmm. birthday present. And it, not until really the end of the episode did it occur to anyone that there might be more than one of those jerseys in the episode. Yeah. Because it was a very rare item. Rare does not mean one, though. Exactly. Exactly. And kind of pointing out that even when they have a detail in the vision, it's not necessarily as specific as they might think it is. Well, and it's open to interpretation. Yeah. What you see and what's really going on may not always match. Yeah. And I thought they they did well with that. They played fair with that. And it wasn't, okay, well, what's the twist of this vision? Mm-hmm. Or what's the misinterpretation? They didn't get cliche with it. Yeah. So I was I was happy with how they they did all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and by that point, Dash was pointing out, you know, if you realize that my vision comes true because you go out of your way to investigate this, why can't you just not go out of your way to investigate this? Is if my vision is you dying? Well, what what was funny about that to me is. He, Dash was basically saying, do as I say, not as I do. Yes, yes. Because he was so, I've got to, to do something about this. Yeah. And Vega, very much a similar kind of a mindset. They were a good partnership in a lot of ways. Yes. I also liked um, the uh, the tech girl, Akila. Yes. Um, she was, again, the she was not only the tech person for, for Vega, but Vega's best friend. Yeah. And some really interesting stuff with that character as just a, again, supporting cast member. And I would like to think if they had had more episodes to play with, we would have gotten some backstory on her. Because mm-hmm. there's a comment about how does somebody with a tattoo to, to defeat uh, facial recognition stuff, how does somebody like that work for the cops? Yeah. What's the back? I mean, they, they flat out ask that. Yeah. And really- it was good to explain, okay, she's just got this tattoo. It's got a functional reason, not just it looks funny. Yes. But then that plays in near the end mm-hmm. when the uh, the precogs have to kind of go out and they, their faces are known at that point. Because even though they were in a government program, when pre-crime was abolished, all records of it were destroyed, giving them anonymity. Yeah. So there's a lot of time if people are looking for the precogs, to, to re-enslave them, reuse them, but they don't know who they are. Yeah, don't know their names, don't know what they look like. And it's interesting because we're at a point in where the show is taking place where they're instituting a computer program, Hawkeye. Yes. To kind of do what pre-crime and the precogs had done. And at one point, it was probably around episode five where the episode ends and they're talking about Hawkeye. And I'm telling you, I wonder if somebody, because by this point we've seen Agatha's vision of them in the milk bath. I'm telling you, I wonder if somebody wants to put the precogs in the milk bath to kind of support Hawkeye and have the best of both worlds on that system. It's interesting because as of about episode eight, Hawkeye just fades into the background. Dash is working for the cops ostensibly as a Hawkeye analyst. Yeah, and they're referring to it. 
Kind of, sort of. It's the cover story. Yeah. But Hawkeye is, again, the predictive analytics. Based on all the surveillance, based on all these things, this is what we expect might happen. Mm -hmm. You are at risk of endangering somebody, whatever. But the Memento Mori terrorist group they're going after is off the grid. Yeah. They're not in the analytics. You don't have the data on them. Yeah. Hence the need to to kind of get pre-crime going again. Mm Mm-hmm. And how else can you go after these people? Yeah. And the weapons Memento Mori was using of kind of the uh, the instant genetic modification and stuff, it was a very targeted bioweapon. And they, they gloss over some of the, the how it works or whatever, but they it, – it granted, we're 50 years in the future. So for the society they were in, it seemed incredibly plausible, mm-hmm. believable, and not, geez, you've got to be kidding me. Well, and they were using it as part of battling, quote, Stephen's bill. Which I loved the uh, the protester signs of no GMO humans, mm. you know, because we live in this age of people complaining about genetically modified foods. So, well, it's one of those things people have, have considered, you know, if you can get into the genetics and, you know, can you prevent genetic diseases in kids kind of prenatally or whatever? Yeah. And I've got really mixed feelings on that because on the one hand, I would like for everybody to be perfectly healthy. I would love for that, but I don't know today or even 50 years from now if we would have the technology to do it right and the wisdom to do it right. Well, I guess the question I would have on that and the one thing that does concern me about the genetically modified foods that I consume on a regular basis probably is I used to know a computer programmer who every time I would ask him, will you fix this in the computer software we work with every day. He'd say, on one condition, that you understand every time I fix one thing in the code, I probably create five problems. You've touched it, you've changed it, and therefore there could be a ripple effect. And in here, uh, the guy behind, one of the Memento Mori guys, was basically describing how he was working with uh, fruit flies or whatever, Mm -hmm. had miskeyed one letter of the genetic sequence. Instead of curing cancer, it gave everyone in this fruit fly sample set cancer and within you know x generations they'd all died yeah one mistake yeah you just misread a letter a letter a c became a g or vice versa and suddenly no fruit fruit flies at harvard so you know you're genetically modifying your kid to to not have some genetic disorder or whatever and somebody miskeys something Mm -hmm. and who knows what could happen yeah and i had a coworker who on a previous job, was just amazed I was not in favor of genetically modified this, that, and the other. And I had to explain to him, it's like, I don't think we can get it perfect. Mm-hmm. I have food allergies, okay? I've, I've got celiac disease. I can't have, you know, wheat, oat, uh, gluten, uh, gluten, which is in wheat, oat, barley, rye, and uh, did I forget one? No, I think you got Okay, there's supposed to be- f- Wheat, oat, rye, barley. Yeah, there is four. I just couldn't count. That's the problem. But if we were to take the gluten I am allergic to in those and somehow transfer that accidentally to corn or rice, which have a different gluten, mm. and suddenly I can't eat those, it's like, damn it, that would suck. Mm-hmm. So unless we could do it flawlessly, and let's face it, we can't do anything flawlessly, there's more potential downside than upside, you know? So I like the fact that this show was playing around with these ideas, treating them seriously, mm-hmm. believably. And, you know, further technologically than we're at now, but relatable 
to where we're at now. Yeah. Well, and one of the scenes with one of the characters we haven't touched on yet, Blake, Mm -hmm. from when he was a teenager. Mm. Vegas uh, boss. Yes. The pre-crime people came rushing in and arrested his stepfather. I the, love how we see that scene the first time. Yeah. The father, stepfather is, is, is about to, to beat up his mom or whatever. Yeah. Cops come crashing in. And again, this seems like just out of the movie kind of scene. Yeah. And then when we see it again, he's retelling the story. Mm-hmm. We see him again in the background, but this time we notice he's picked up a knife. Yeah. He was about to kill his father. You know, his stepfather. Stepfather. Yeah. Uh, for, for threatening his mother. Yeah, and he says, I thought I was going to kill my stepfather that night, but the precogs saw that my stepfather was going to kill my mother, so it was my stepfather that was arrested. Kind of a there, but for the grace of the precogs I go kind of a deal. Yeah. And again, the whole concept of should you arrest somebody for what they were going to do but didn't end up doing because you stopped them. And how do you know which was a... I was going to do it, but something would have prevented me, whether it's the fear or whatever, versus I thought he was going to, and he really would have. Yeah. I need to figure out what I did with that DVD, because I think it'd be fun to rewatch the movie. Yeah, I looked. I couldn't find it streaming on either Netflix or Hulu. Interesting. I considered proposing the rewatching, because, you know, great minds think alike. Well, again, this was a fun series. It Mm -hmm. used the characters, only one of the actors- from the original film, but really, the original film was uh, a tr- uh, Tom. <coughs> the original film was a Tom Cruise vehicle, and the precogs were a, a plot device, not characters. True. And these used the the precogs as characters, not a plot device. Well, as much as I normally don't like those overriding conspiracies, I did enjoy speculating. How do they end up in the milk bath when Agatha had that vision? And for a while, I kept asking you, do you think Blake, once he finds out, mm-hmm. betrays them? Because he was very, I almost want to say gung-ho, once they found out there was a major terrorist threat against their city. His of- character really could have gone either way. Yeah. What I liked, though, with the conspiracy aspect, and I'm not crazy about it in most shows, with precogs, it makes sense to have that. Yeah. You know, to not have that seems a little off. Mm -hmm. And you could easily not have it. Oh, we can't see our own future. Well, that's convenient. Yeah. The other character we haven't talked about, and I want to talk a little bit about the actor first, Reed Diamond. I love that actor, even though nine times out of ten, he plays the character I can't stand. I don't know how many shows he has been a regular on, but I think I've seen a lot of them. Franklin and Bash. Franklin and Bash, absolutely. He was brilliant in there. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Dollhouse. Yes. Uh, Journeyman. It was a time travel one from a couple of years back, about 10 years ago movie now. Uh, obviously this. He always plays a little bit of a smart alecky, smart guy that, that you just really can't quite trust. Yeah. A little slimy. Um. Slimy is actually a really great description of the characters he plays. He was on um, Whispering Pines, the summer show that I watched. And uh, he actually wasn't that... Wayward Pines, that's what it was. Um, He was not that slimy a character on that one. I was surprised. And what I liked about his character in Franklin and Bash is he had kind of that more human side to him. Mm -hmm. Um, He wasn't really a bad guy. He could just be a bit of a jerk. 
And I'm curious what, what Reed Diamond, the person, is like. I would love to know. I mean, he's been on uh, five episodes of Mentalist, four episodes of Bones. Uh, he was on eight episodes of 24. Mm-hmm. What, though, has he seemed to be like a regular on? In other words, not just a recurring. Franklin Bash. He was on for 40 episodes. Yeah, he was He was one of the few regulars. I think he was the only one other than uh, Malcolm McDowell that was a regular about as long as the two leads who played Franklin and Bash. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm trying to think. He did 19 episodes of Judging Amy, which okay. was most of a season. Most of a season. He's done quite a bit. He did a great job here. And again, he was the one that was angling to kind of replace uh, Hawkeye or augment it with getting the precogs back in mm-hmm. to, to a pre-crime kind of a unit. Mm-hmm. So he was the perfect actor for the role. He does that kind of stuff really well. And I, I'm willing to bet he's a really nice guy, probably. Exactly. But he can play a really not so, I mean, not a bad guy, but just kind of a watch your silverware around him kind of a thing. He'll take everything he got. As I recall on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., he was a really good Nazi. That's true. So, I mean... The fact that he can do that and then go over to Franklin and Bash and play the lawyer that you kind of want to like, except that you just can't. Well, again, on Franklin and Bash, he played the nephew of the owner of the law firm. And and Malcolm McDowell's character just never gave him any credit, anything. So he was always trying to prove himself, definitely had a chip on his shoulder. And then Franklin and Bash were always giving him crap. Mm Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he was in a bad situation and kind of had the pushback. Mm-hmm. And you got to think, if he were in a a healthy environment, mm-hmm. he could have been a really great guy. That's probably the most normal character we've seen him play. Yeah. Franklin Abash. Anyone who hasn't watched that, great legal show. Yes. It was starring um, I'm blanking Mark on- Paul Gossler. Mark Paul Gossler from, uh, from uh, Saved by the Bell. And- Oh, don't do that to me. That is the name of the star. Oh, don't do that to me. No, the one, the other one. I, it's the only show I've seen the other one in, but he's done some other stuff. I'm lucky. Anyways, they play two young lawyers that are just, they would do the wackiest in-court antics to get their, their clients, you know, the, the justice they deserve, you know. Inclu- Breckenmeyer. Breckenmeyer, that's right. Brilliant actors, both of them. Fun show, great legal drama, very lighthearted, very humorous, somewhat sophomoric, and uh, imagine frat house lawyers, I guess would be the way to say it. That is an excellent way to say it. On the beach. On the beach. On the beach. Uh, anyways, Reed Diamond, a uh, great uh, addition to this cast for uh, for Minority mm-hmm. Report, about halfway through. Yeah, yeah. So he was in about half the episodes. Well, and he's the guy that when he says, look, if... If you guys want to go into the milk bath and hold me at gunpoint because you're afraid I'll keep you there, I'm okay with that because I'm a patriot. I was just trying to get the patriotic thing done. I wasn't trying to be a bad guy. You you kind of believe him. Well, it didn't surprise me too much that he had had a plan that Involved this could snipers. happen. Yeah. Yeah. Just have snipers waiting there to begin with. Details. Smart guy, got the angles covered kind of a deal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's the sort that if they were to do a second season- he would still be chasing after him. He would be like Decker on the A-team. That's exactly what I was just thinking. You know, it's mm-hmm. like uh, always chasing behind them or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. So again, I thought this was a fun show. Um, not surprised it only lasted a season. It had good closure. It ended on a, a decent note. 
Yeah, the 10 episodes kind of felt more like a British series. Yes. Than a typical American season. I would agree with that. They had a good solid arc. They had enough episodic stuff that each one was good standalone. Mm -hmm. But it moved from a beginning, middle, to a nice end of a a resolution, kind of like a book in a series of novels. Mm -hmm. But not one where you feel, gosh, if they'd only finished the story. Yeah. They ended on a clean break. And it's one of those that just like at the end of the movies, well, the precogs have been disbanded. They're, They're out in the wild now. And they have Vega with them. Well, but that's my point. In the movie, they mm-hmm. ended that way. In the TV show, they had the same sort of a thing. Yeah, but- This story yeah. is done. Nobody knows where they are. Yeah, and I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Vega went out the door with them. They've got an ally. They've got actual help this time as yeah. they set out into the world. It. They left the door. I mean, as much as the last thing we really saw was the door closing, they left the door open and full of possibilities. It wasn't one where the next season would have been, gosh, they've got to do X, Y, and Z if they don't at mm-hmm. least end this scene or the immediate aftermath, oh, we'll be disappointed. And granted, I have seen some shows that ended on a cliffhanger next season had completely ignored it. Yes. Yes. Well, and I was going to be very upset if they ended with them getting put in the milk baths and Vega doing nothing to get them out. If they had ended there with a, yep, they're trapped again, I wonder what will happen. That to me would have said, well, at the beginning of the next season, they've got to get them out and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. resolve the cliffhanger. Yeah. No, they- They they ended on a clean note, mm-hmm. but also one that with just a, a minor tweak or two, I mean, again, Reed Diamond's character could be the one chasing him forever after. Given the way they actually ended this, eh, not so much, but who knows medical science. Well, and he, he was on sedatives, very heavy sedatives. Yes, but when they dunked- <laughs> I know. I thought but- that was a bad design for the milk bath where you could actually submerge the people and in, in they yeah. were drowned. But nobody asked me on the design. But, you know, I don't actually know. I mean, may, for all I know, that milk bath has some kind of a cryogenics type of, no? Not that we were aware of. Darn. Because the kid's aged. That's true. That's true. I was just trying to give a little hope. Anyways, it ended with a, a, a satisfying resolution. It did. Yes, they could have done a little more, whatever, but it's like, boom, this this is a comfortable spot to end. It is, yeah. So, uh, if you haven't checked it out, I'm sure it will be up on Netflix, Hulu, whatever, eventually. I hope it streams somewhere in its entirety in the near future, because it's, it's worth watching. It, it may take a little bit. I don't know what the lag time is from when a show ends to when it would go. I normally, for ongoing, when the next season starts yeah. is when the previous one goes up. Yeah. So, um, it's it was on um, Fox. Fox. That's right. Oh, yeah. It's hard for me to keep track of these shows, even with a little bug in the corner. On the one hand, yes. On the other hand, it was canceled during its first season. That's right. I should have guessed Fox. Sci-fi show end of se- end of series with first season. Sorry. You would think Reed Diamond would know better, having been on Dollhouse. You would actually, but. But, hey, it was a job for him. And again, did Richard. And a good part. And I have to mention that um, Stephen Williams from 21 Jump Street yes. was in there and did a great job. He was in for an episode or two, did did some fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Again, I liked it. One of the good shows this season, uh, overdone, 10 episodes, so not a big investment. Check it out if you get a chance. I agree. Anything else? We done. That does it. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.